Well, brothers and sisters, open your Bibles to the book of Habakkuk. The book of Habakkuk. And once you find that book, would you stand with me and join with me as we ask the Lord's blessing upon the preaching and exposition of this Word. Let's pray and then we'll read from Scripture. Now, Father, bless the reading of Your Word to the hearing, Lord, of those that You have called to Yourself. Lord, let faith be the product of this Word. Let saving faith, Lord, be the result of the preaching of the Gospel. Lord, let a stronger faith be the result of the preaching of the Gospel, the preaching of Your Word. Lord, as we begin our study of this book, we pray, O Lord, that You would teach us this morning how we might unburden our own hearts as Habakkuk did his. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Now, brothers and sisters, I want to begin reading in chapter 1 and verse 1 and read those first four verses. If you would, follow along with me in your Bibles. The oracle which Habakkuk the prophet saw, How long, O Lord, will I call for help and you will not hear? I cry out to you violence, and yet you do not save. Why do you make me see iniquity and cause me to look on wickedness? Yes, destruction and violence are before me. Strife exists and contention arises. And therefore the law is ignored and justice is never upheld. For the wicked surround the righteous, and therefore justice comes out perverted. And thus ends the reading of God's Word. Please be seated. Now, brothers and sisters, this morning will act as somewhat of an introduction of the book itself, and we'll cover many places of the book, not just those four verses that I just read in your hearing. The first thing that I want to help you in understanding this small Old Testament book is that In reading it, it reads more like a verdict than it does a lesson. It reads more like the verdict a judge would give to a party rather than a prophet teaching God's people, bringing them along in sanctification and showing them how to live by God's Word. And I think that's on purpose. The book of Habakkuk is not a lesson. It's not a book to incite obedience. In fact, those days are gone. Instruction and encouragement to obedience has passed by. That season has left God's people and now Habakkuk cries out to God and God renders, he he unveils this verdict to Habakkuk that now God's people must suffer for their sins. 
The days of instruction are over. The teachers that God had given to His people have been ignored, not listened to. And so now, in God's sovereign power, He will send other instructors, other teachers who are of the fierce and horrible stripe. You can almost see in the book of Habakkuk, God donning His judicial robe. He's no longer acting as that heavenly Father, but now as that stern rule keeper. What should we learn as we read this verdict, as we go through this book? What are we to learn as Christians in the 21st century? Well, the book encourages God's people who are caught up in this indifference and apostasy to continue living righteously. The book is an encouragement to the righteous, though they face difficult, hard, and unjust days. They must rise to the occasion by faith. And they must continue their focus upon God who is their Redeemer and Creator. They're not allowed to sulk in the circumstance. They're not allowed to garner to themselves committees and institutes of complaint. The book tells us in chapter 2 and verse 4 that the righteous will live by his faith. That's the clarion call of the book. For the righteous to live by their faith. The book also teaches us that God opposes greatly the proud. That God will only tolerate pride and arrogance for a season. And when those days have passed, God is going to exercise His sovereign prerogative and break the teeth of the proud. And shatter the strength of the arrogant. He will show all of those who love to parade themselves around as if they themselves are God. That he alone is God. And there is only one true and living God, brothers and sisters. And God has no rivals. God has no competition. There are only subjects and enemies. And if you are not a subject of the one and true and living God, brothers and sisters, you are His enemy. The book will teach us that not only are the righteous to live by faith and that the arrogant and prideful will only have a certain season by which they look strong and mighty. The book will show us as as Christians how to unburden our hearts before him. And that's what we're going to look at this morning. We're going to take the little bit of time we have left in this morning service and we're going to look at the prophet 
and his burden. In fact, as I continue to read and read this book over and over and over and to meditate on it, what seemed to jump out at myself was that this prophet has a tremendous burden that he is, he is revealing and unloading to no one else but God. He's not complaining to the congregation. He's not complaining to some group of friends. He is taking this tremendous burden and he's taking it to God. Well, who is the one doing this? Well, as the text tells us, it says that this is the burden or the oracle which Habakkuk the prophet saw. What is a prophet? Well, most of the time when someone thinks of a prophet, they think of the foretelling or foretelling of events, these prophecies. But that was such a small and oftentimes um, uh, seldom gift exercised. The The majority of the time, a prophet was nothing more than a teacher of God's people. A teacher. And what would the prophets teach the people of God? Well, they would teach the people of God how to obey Him. They would teach the people what God's will is concerning any number of situations and circumstances. How should we view one another? What does hatred look like? What does it look like to overcome hate? What about marriage? Any number of situations and circumstances where where God's people needed guidance, that was the role of the prophet to fulfill. They were to teach God's people God's law, God's will, so that the people of God could know Him and love Him and serve Him and depend upon Him in all things and in all ways. Habakkuk is a burdened soul, the text tells us. A burdened soul. He doesn't just have a burden. This is not, this is not like having some issue to deal with, this has burdened his very soul. It keeps him up at night. It dominates his conversation in his head. He's probably not a great person to be around. He bears the the weight of the apostasy of God's people. He bears the the weight of disobedience. He bears the weight of his friends taking lightly the laws of God. He carries it with him. It becomes shaping to his own character. Habakkuk was a contemporary of Jeremiah. Jeremiah was preaching and teaching and 
condemning the people of God or, or showing that God was displeased with them breaking the first table of the law, Habakkuk is addressing the second table of the law. Habakkuk carries around this tremendous heavy burden as a teacher of God's people because he recognizes that no matter how long he teaches, how hard he teaches, or how hard he studies, or how interesting his sermons are, how clever his teaching is in a, in a good sense, God's people really don't want to hear these sermons. Now, Habakkuk isn't burdened because he's not heard. The text tells us he's burdened because of the violence that he sees among God's people. Now, some commentators would take this idea of burden and they equate Habakkuk's burden with the coming judgment of the Chaldeans. Well, that would certainly be a problem. I mean, you would not want the invasion of another enemy, especially a fierce enemy, to come into your land, right? I mean, that's, that's certainly probable, but I don't think it's accurate. See, I think the text sets up the idea, or it sets up for us that the prophet, the teacher of God, his burden is due to the apostasy and indifference of God's people. The problem is that God's people are showing violence. Notice what the text says. I cry out to you violence, yet you do not save. Why do you let make me see iniquity? What is this violence and iniquity? This look upon wickedness. wickedness. Where is he seeing these things? Where is he viewing these things? In the church. Among God's people. His burden he is carrying with him is that God's people are indifferent to the things of God. They are indifferent. They are, they are laxed in their view and obedience and it grieves him because he knows what's coming. He knows what this leads to. Violence is always before me. Strife exists. Contentions arises. Does that not sound like today? It does, doesn't it? You know, the world can tear itself apart, brothers and sisters. God forbid we in the body of Christ allow race, sex, and gender to tear us apart. God has already spoken on these things. God has spoken. He's already told us what a boy is, what a girl is. He's already told us who can be together. He's already told us that He's created all these things. He's already told us that we are one, you know, there's only one race. There's only one race. There's only one race. That's the Christian view. Though we use the language of many races, but what we're talking about is just distinctions, are we not? There's only one race of people. All made in the image of God. And we should all treat each other with that kind of respect. 
Sounds very much like today. Strifes, contentions, the politicizing of these things for political advantage. Divide, keeping people divided. And even in the church, brothers and sisters, the, the, the you think about the denominations and you think about the confusion among many in the church are those leaders bringing confusion to the church by adopting worldly understandings of sexuality. You know, Habakkuk's a timely book. He sees the contentions. He sees the strifes. He sees the church corrupt from within. He sees the abuses that are going on among God's people. The advantages others are exercising over another. He says the law is ignored. Justice is never upheld. The wicked surround the righteous. And justice is always perverted. Sounds very much like our own day. This burden of Habakkuk comes to us as a teacher of God's people. And he comes to us, he, it comes as he unburdens his heart, if you will, in, with this breaking of God's law. It grieves him that God's people are ignoring God's law. Why? Because he's a, a legalist? No. Because God has given us, brothers and sisters, moral standards and rules by which we ought to address one another and live by with one another. That we would treat each other with dignity and respect and love. That we would honor men and women who are honorable. You know, today is it true that we don't look at character and nobility, and I don't mean nobility in the, in the sense of elitism, but I mean noble character. Men and women that carry themselves in a noble way. Well, those people are ignored. And it doesn't matter what color you are. It doesn't matter if you are a man or a woman. You can carry yourself in a way that is honoring and pleasing to God and, and loving to men. But we want to... Uh, what the world does is set the stage and the platform if you're a certain gender and a certain color and a certain sexual preference that you get to speak. No one else does. That's not just. And what's happened is the, the men and women that should be speaking to these issues, critical issues, with the ones with the real wisdom, they're not heard. They're ignored. Brothers and sisters, you can see why Habakkuk is burdened and you might even begin to feel a little burdened yourself this morning. Habakkuk clearly is addressing the second table of the law. He clearly sees the violation of God's moral law and he says that God's people are breaking God's law as they as they deal with and address one another, but what he sees is abuse and injustices. And he's grieved over it. And in fact, notice what he says in verse 2. How long, O Lord, will I call for help? Your translation may say cry to you for help. How long, O Lord, will I cry out to you 
How long, O Lord, will I raise my voice and cry out to You and, 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 and unburden my heart with the violence and the schism and the contentions and the injustices and the perversions that I see? How long? Habakkuk was probably not the guy you wanted to invite to your birthday party. And, and, and I mean that in a very serious way. Why was Jeremiah called the weeping prophet? Because of the task, because of the things he had to deal with and the job that God had given to him. And Habakkuk doesn't do this. But remember, Jeremiah said, I cursed the day of my birth. I cursed the day I was born. Oh Lord, that you would give me this job. That I would have to go to this people who do not want to hear my message and preach to them. Then he preached for 50 years without one convert. That's a burden, isn't it? Habakkuk's the same way. He's preaching to a people that just don't want to hear it. But not only want to hear it, Doing the opposite. That God's people had grown so cold and so hard-hearted in the blessings that God had bestowed upon them that they had become so, so prideful and arrogant. They would say, God will never, ever chasten us. We're good. We're, we're, we're good. We're better than everybody else. I mean, we may have our little, you know, problems. But look at everybody else. Well, here's the problem, though, brothers and sisters. The problem was that where was the law of God being preached? Where was the gospel being preached? In the church. Who should have known better? than to treat their brothers and sisters this way. The church. Who should have known how to look at situations and circumstances and, and exercise discernment and wisdom and discretion? Who, who should be doing that? The church. And they weren't. They weren't doing that. They were caught up in all of the various other things that had allowed their hearts to become hardened to God and the preaching of God's Word. This burden that Habakkuk carries with him is a burden also because he recognizes that the church is past the point of return. He's been preaching. For example, you know, Habakkuk's not a book of, that's warning God's people. That, Jeremiah did that. You know, Isaiah did that to, to the northern I mean, kingdom, right? About Assyria. This is the southern kingdom, and the southern kingdom had already seen the northern kingdom go into captivity. They should have certainly known better, but yet they were so arrogant and so prideful, they thought, oh, you know, that was the northern kingdom, you know. They're liberals. We're better. Habakkuk knows that they have reached the point that 
strong sermons, powerful exhortations and warnings to God's people are no longer needed because they're not listening. Now it simply is a verdict. You're going to be judged by a nation as fierce as wolves. You're going to be judged by a military force that throws their net into the waters and just like that net pulls up all kinds of fish, they throw out hooks and they catch men and women by their faces and they drag them behind their horses. That's going to be your captives. Not a pretty picture. You can see some anxiety swelling up in some of God's people going, well, Lord, notice, notice, and I'm just throwing, I'm going to add this as, as, as for your information. God's people aren't going, but God, we don't deserve this. Because you know what? Though we live in a sea of wickedness, how often have we been silent? Hmm? How often have we been silent? How often have we have we cherished pleasing men rather than pleasing God? What's our part in this? So God's people recognize they have a role here. And so they ask the question, Lord, what must we do? And the answer to them is live by faith. So we see our prophet. We have God's teacher. We have the burden God's teacher carries with him in this kind of time. In this kind of season of the church. We have what he teaches and what they won't listen to. And now we're going to look at how this prophet takes this burden to the Lord. And what I think we should get out of this, brothers and sisters, if anything, there are seasons in which the church of Jesus Christ, there are seasons in which God's people must bear a burden that, that others in other time periods don't bear. Cultures and circumstances and situations, brothers and sisters, it, it's like this, I guess. Let me, let me explain it this way. It's kind of like the church being on fire with all of the, the um, social justice issues, with all of the racial tensions and sexual orientation. The church is on fire, and yet we would go about our daily lives as if none of it affects us. It's no big deal. I don't care what my church does. I'm a Christian. It doesn't matter. And we can have parties and we can, and anytime somebody wants to bring up a discussion or talk about the things or talk about the events, what, man, I don't want to bog me down with that stuff. You're bringing me down. I mean, listen, I want to be happy, man. I don't have time to talk about this stuff. I, look, man, just bring out the good things. I, I don't want to talk about all of this negativity, all of this negative things, you know. That's the guy that's being condemned. The righteous, when he sees 
God's law spurned and he sees the effects of righteous people suffering. He sees God's glory being attacked and abused. How can, how, how can he be purely happy? I, I'm not saying we don't have birthday parties and we join each other's company, but isn't there another part of us that burdens over these things? Haven't we learned or have we learned to live sort of, uh, you know, lives in which we can be both glad with one another, weep with one another as well, but also be burdened because God's glory is assaulted? That these things are important? That it ought to hurt you that the church of Jesus Christ is being assaulted the way it is? That bother you? It should. See, oftentimes, brothers and sisters, the, the minister is the only one burdened. And he preaches and he preaches and he preaches and he weeps and he weeps and he cries out to God and he cries out to God. And it, yet it seems like he's the only one. That's, what, that's the burden Habakkuk's carrying. He has no one else to talk to. He has no one else to go to because no one wants to talk about these things. No one wants to converse with him on this level. They're, they don't have time for it. He takes his burden to God. He goes to God and goes, Lord, I've been crying out to you. I'm constantly crying out to you. And yet, you stand silent in this thing. You're not answering my prayer. I continue to see violence and strife and hatred and contention and injustice. Wow, Lord, are you showing me these things? Why do you make me watch all of this happen to your church? Now, there are three things that Habakkuk brings out in this book about God that you need to know about. They are both an encouragement and they are both a warning. Both. The first one is what Habakkuk says in verse 2 and 3. Yes, how long, O Lord, will I cry for help? And you will not hear. I cry out to you violence, yet you do not say, Why do you make me see iniquity and cause me to look on wickedness? Yes, destruction and violence are before me. Strife exists and contention arises. And brothers and sisters, that first perfection that, that Habakkuk unloads in this burden is he's addressing the long-suffering of God. Lord, why do you contend? Why do you sit back and do nothing? And God is long-suffering. And God is long-suffering with a sinful people. God is long-suffering with a sinful husband. God is long-suffering with a sinful wife. A marriage. God is long-suffering in you know, parent and child relationships. God's not impetuous. God doesn't act on a whim. God doesn't just wake up on the wrong side of the bed in the morning one day loving and the next day destructive. God often allows the preachers to preach and God's people to hear warning after warning and warning, warning after warning, message after message. The Word of God unfolded, expounded, explained, the gospel preached Sunday after Sunday. 
time after time. And he's constantly given opportunity after opportunity for his people to wake up. And yet the minister sits back and he goes, I need it now. I want to see it now. I don't want to see this. It hurts me to see God's people devour themselves. When you begin to unburden your heart and you begin to pray like Habakkuk's praying, you have to be reminded of God is long-suffering. That God is not quick to judgment. Oftentimes we are. And God is not. And then you can see as Habakkuk unloads this burden and he begins to to think and pray and to exercise this liberty that he has to, to take this burden, this complaint to God. He's like, Lord, oh, why, why do you continue to put up with this? And see, brothers and sisters, in the same flip of the coin here, what happens when God, who is long-suffering, he, he bears with His children for centuries. Then all of a sudden, that day's over. You know, He told Jeremiah, again, these are contemporary prophets with one another. He told Jeremiah, Jeremiah, tell them, stop their praying. I'm not listening. The day of your prayers being lifted up and oh, how sorry we are. Oh, how we don't mean this. He said, those days are over. It's not a warning. It's a verdict. The days of warning are over. God has been long-suffering. I think about people who take church for granted. How easy it is to take these simple things for granted, right? How easy it is to take someone who would get up and, and preach and put themselves out there and, and, you know, you're like, oh, he could be better or he could do, he could do this or that and all the... But, you know, at the same time, the whole time, the whole time... Never dealing with your soul. Never dealing with your soul. Never dealing with your sin. Always holding on to your comforts and your passions and your comforts. Never willing to sacrifice them for the Lord's glory. Always putting yourself first. First. The second thing that Habakkuk brings up is you, if you turn over with me in the book, is God's holiness. And we see, we see God's long suffering there in those verses. And we, we'll look at this as we go through the book. But there's also another perfection of God that must be addressed when we unburden our hearts. It's not just God's long suffering. But it's God's holiness. God is holy. He's a pure spirit. He's a pure and righteous God. Uh, there is nothing 
polluted. In, he has never an impure thought. God never acts unfairly or unjustly. Now that's important because what's one thing we might accuse God of if we're put into a serious situation or an uncomfortable situation, what's one of the things we might accuse God of? Of acting unfairly, unjustly. When we say, Lord, I don't deserve this, we're accusing God of being unjust. When we exercise the liberty of thought and we say in our head, No one hears it but you and God that I don't deserve this. We are calling God unjust. We are saying God lied. We're saying God sinned. Unjustness is a sin. God has sinned against me. I'm better than this. I don't deserve this. I deserve better. When you unburden your hearts, brothers and sisters, to the Lord, you need to remember the perfection of God's, uh, uh, this perfection of God, and that is He's holy. He cannot sin against you. He cannot sin against you. He can't act wrongly against you. He cannot bring anything into your life for a nanomicrosecond that is undeserving in your life, and He still be God. If he's not, if he's holy, not one second of your life could ever be undeserved. If God is going to maintain his holiness, I want you to think about that. God is always holy. God is always righteous. God always acts in in the purity of integrity and righteousness and holiness. And yet we can see our God able in all of His holiness use a sinful, a impetuous, a horrible and terrible people to bring judgment upon the house of God and never be contaminated by that sin and never be polluted by it in the slightest I told you to turn to chapter 2 and I'm unable to find the, the uh, well, the text there in chapter 2. Look at verse 18 and following. It says, what prophet is the idol? These, this nation God was raising up to punish and to chasten His people were idolaters. He says, when a maker has carved it or an image, a teacher or falsehood for its maker trust in his own handwork... For he fashions speechless idols. Woe to him who says to a piece of wood awake, to a mute stone arise. And that is your teacher. Behold, it is overlaid with gold and silver and there is no breath at all inside of it. But the Lord in his holy temple, let all the earth be silent before him. The Lord's holy. The third perfection and attribute that we must remember when we go to the Lord, brothers and sisters, is power. God has the power to raise up a fierce people who are responsible for their own sins. God is able to raise up a people and use them like He would a a rod to chasten His people 
and then turn around and judge that nation for their own sins. God has the power. You know what? God has the power to heal the church right now. God has the power to take away racism. God has the power to take away bigotry. God has the power, brothers and sisters, to heal this land of its sexual confusion. He has the power to shut down all of these fake churches, remove all the false teachers. He has the power to do it. And yet God exercises His power in holding up His people in the midst of such crimes and offenses. God, it's pleasing to God to uphold His people in those times while using all of that to cultivate in us a closeness to Him. And brothers and sisters, you don't, you don't experience this kind of judgment and walk faithfully in it being far apart from God. Right? You can't do it. So you don't have enough strength to do it. You don't have enough wisdom to do it. Let's just say you're the strongest person in the world. You don't have enough wisdom. Well, let's just say you had all the wisdom in the world. And you don't have enough fortitude to keep it up. Amen? Take any one of those things and say they're all, it's, it's yours and all yours. It's the other things that's going to get you. Because you're not God. I want to cover a little bit of application and we'll be finished. Application number one. Brothers and sisters, remember this. Ministers and officers of the church of Jesus Christ in seasons of turmoil and difficulty carry a heavy burden. That's an application here. Habakkuk shows us what kind of burden God's officers carry when, when God's offended and the church doesn't seem to care. So remember that. They often contend. Ministers often contend between two worlds. The world of men, friendships, relationships, and then the the, the unseen spiritual realm where God must be glorified and His Word must be taught. You know, at the end of the day, what must the minister have to do? He has to choose God, right? And that can be a lonely life. I bring that out to you so that you might pray for those men. There are Habakkuk's out there. There are men who feel like Jeremiah. They're all alone, fighting battles, and they have to contend with their families. They have to contend with their friends, and yet the burden upon their heart is God's glory is assaulted. And I can do no other but warn and preach and summon and call to obedience those who are offending God's glory. Secondly, The righteous carry a heavy burden. That's you. 
church members. It's not just the ministers alone. You carry a heavy burden. Your friends, your family, the world in you, when, which you live. You walk in two worlds, don't you? Of knowing what God expects of you and what God wants out of you and yet having to, to walk between pleasing men and pleasing God. That's not always easy, is it? Knowing how to do it in a prudent and wise way without just being a jerk and offensive. And I'm convinced that some men and women are jerks, not because they're jerks, but because they don't know how to do that prudently. And they don't want to offend God. But we have to learn how to honor God and walk among men honoring God. And do it in a way that's prudent and with discretion. Not in a way that's man-pleasing. Not in a way that cultivates sin, calls sin, sin. One of the, the, one of the biggest issues today in the church of Jesus Christ is ministers and congregants not calling sin, sin. We want to call it an affair. We want to call it a mistake. We want to call it anything but what it is. Sin. Call it sin. And the reason you want to call it sin is because sin can be forgiven. Sin can be forgiven. Sinning brothers can be reconciled. But if it's just a mistake, there's never any reconciliation because you never did anything wrong. Thirdly, brothers and sisters, true, true freedom and liberty comes in obedience to God, not disobedience to God. You want to have a freak nation? You want to have... Uh, 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 you want to have liberty. You know, we hear a lot about liberty in politics, don't we? We hear a lot about freedom, but we don't hear about honoring and serving and obeying God first. There is only one way any nation exercise, uh, has the freedom of liberty or the, the exercise of liberty and freedom, and that's when they honor Him first. All we've heard about in this COVID-19 pandemic is how we will overcome, not how God will do a work of grace. All we've heard about is how great we are, not how strong God is. All we've heard is that nothing can hold us down, and yet God has brought us to our knees and we're just too blind to see it. See, the arrogant and the pride, the prideful, they can't see it. They can't see it. They can't see that God's got His foot on the back of their neck. But that's exactly where they are. True liberty, brothers and sisters, comes in the freedom of the gospel, preaching the gospel, believing the gospel, and setting forth the gospel. Four, prayer is a tremendous means of grace. Spurgeon was asked, sir, should I read my Bible or should I pray? And he said, that's like asking if you want to exhale or inhale. Which one do you want to do? 
Brothers and sisters, we must be pray, praying people. But when we pray, we must learn how to pray with real burdens. Take your burdens to the Lord. Because He knows what to do with them. He knows how to receive those burdens and those complaints. He knows how to encourage you. And He has a plan. You know, the book of Habakkuk's not all gloom. I mean, there's a promise in it. And, and part of that promise is that one day the knowledge of the Lord will cover the earth. It doesn't look like that now as Habakkuk is writing the book, right? But that the knowledge of God would cover the earth. What a hope. What a hope. See, God's powerful. You know, China is not scaring God. You know, hey, the United States doesn't scare God. Islam doesn't scare God. Right? God's not afraid of men. God is working and orchestrating His plan for the benefit of the church. For the glory of His Son who has offered up Himself for the sins of all of who would believe and trust in Him. He's bringing honor and glory to His Son's name. And then lastly, brothers, number five in application, there are seasons in life in which pleasure, peace, and personal comforts must be sacrificed for the Lord's glory. Do you understand what I'm saying? You can't always have peace and comforts. You can't always have it. There are times you've got to fight. There are times you're going to have to fight. And that means there are going to be times when people are going to call you names. Say bad things about you. All for the glory of God. Let's pray.